Hey everyone and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. Adam, how are you? Did you have a really normal weekend? I had a really uh, normal weekend um, and I was having a little bit of FOMO because you folks were out in Chicago at C2E2 without me. So how was that? C2E2 was fun. Had a great time. Chris Claremont's mad at me again. It's fine. (laughs) It's uh, really all... funny that last episode we did talk at length about Claremont's hijinks from the last C2E2, and now immediately he and added that also his race thing. bending and also his race bending. Yeah, we we that was basically that was, predicted the folks, future. That was that was recorded beforehand. So if you had any, <laughs> like, listen, listen, I'm not going to get into discourse about this. I just think it's very funny that it happened again. Yeah. So for listeners who I didn't even try this time. I was just yeah, I was a just mere witness. observer. Yeah. So for listeners who uh, maybe missed it, uh, check out the Comics XF Twitter account with which has a a live account of some of the things that Mr. Claremont said. Check check out Graham Graham McMillan's write up for Popverse. It's better. Well, Graham, they're they're both saying the same thing. They're they are saying the same thing. One of one, one of which was written uh, in 280 character increments as fast as possible, trying to capture all of the madness. And one of them was journalism. <laughs> These are two forms of journalism. They, they uh, I'd are. Argue you were both doing a great job. We, I, I did get a chance to run into Graham that weekend, uh, and I asked him how his weekend was going, and he looked at me and was like, "Oh, how is your weekend going?" <laughs> We were both well, having very normal ones. Uh, but it did bring back memory, Adam. Which was? C2E2 2020, the last con- comic convention. Yeah, before uh, the pandemic, we all were at the announcement of Ten of Swords, the giant crossover event of all time. Yeah, we got really excited for Swords. I got to talk to so many people. Go... If you guys haven't and you want a weird piece of history that I have not gone back and listened to, go back and listen to our 2020 C2E2 episode uh, mm-hmm. where we all get swords. Uh, it's a really fun time. We talked to uh, just about everybody involved in Ten of Swords. Uh, uh, at least at least from the writing side, yeah, for sure. Oh, we're talking about Ten of Swords today. Sorry, if that wasn't clear. <laughs> yes, we, we're back to being a swords podcast. This is an all-sword episode. All-sword all the time. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's thanks to Patreon supporter Zach Larkin. Zach went over to patreon.com slash comicsxf and reached deep into his heart and in his pocketbook and said, folks, I'd like to toss a couple of coins into your coffers. And that is what Zach has done. Zach is not me. He spells his name differently, but we like him nonetheless. If you want to be like Zach Larkin, do that thing. And hey, if you can't support monetarily and get an episode for your own like this, Leave us a rating or a review on iTunes or like a five star on Spotify or something. It really helps. Give us good ratings and reviews and just tell us how how great this podcast is, how much you love talking about the comics, and how you think all of our bits are really funny and great. (laughs) 
uh, definitely helps spread the word of the show. And uh, I appreciate that because we're working hard for you folks uh, this week. 31 issues this episode, starting with this 22-part crossover. How do we even get into the uh, giant uh, list of names here on the creative team? This is crazy. Ten of Swords uh, was spearheaded by Jonathan Hickman and Teeny Howard. They are the architects of the event. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... In this event, from the writing side, are Jonathan Antini, friend of the show, Leah Williams, Ben Percy, Vita Ayala, Zeb Wells, Ed Brisson, Jerry Duggan. That's everybody. It's those people. I think that's everybody, yeah. And, and from an lot. art side, you got you got some Pepe Larraz. Got, got that Car- Pepe. You got Carlos Gomez. You have Victor Bondanovic, which, fine. Mateo Loli, Carmen Carnero, Rod Reese, Phil Noto. R.B. Silva, Mahmoud Asar, Leneo Francis Yu, Stefano Castilli, uh, Joshua Casara. I think that's everybody. I think so. I, you know, what's uh, amazing. It is. It is everybody. That's everybody. And uh, some covers by Dodderman. Dodderman and... does covers. Uh, yeah. What's his name? He's really good. Andy Kubert does some covers. Um, yep. There's coverage yeah. from a lot of people, guys. Hey, <laughs> this comic rules. <laughs> well, when you uh, said that someone had requested, I was like, oh, man, 22 issues. But as I just said to you off air before we started recording, I was really uh, surprised and, um, and enjoying myself in how quickly and smoothly this goes down. This is a lot of fun. And I think for all of the complaining that some folks might have done about the length of the event, because if we recall, uh, this event was not supposed to be 22 parts. And because of pandemic and changing publishing uh, schedules, it was decided that they were going to extend this to a longer. I think it's better for it. I'd like to say something. Yeah. There is an idea that somebody's first idea, the original plan, is always the best one. <laughs> And that's stupid if you've ever thought about it. If you've ever thought for a minute about any of your plans in your life, was the first one always the best one? (laughs) Was a little bit extra time ever beneficial? Did you ever change your mind on something? Because, folks, i got to tell you, in the creative process, that happens. And when you have a creative process with a lot of people, that can happen. And when they decide, hey, actually, let's take this event... And let's split it up and let's have part of the event do the thing that events normally can't do and give you deep character-focused stories so that you feel invested in this. And the other part of the event is let's do sword fights. Sort of. (laughs) Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. How many sword fights do you think we get in this book called Ten of Swords? Well, we definitely get sword fights. I just want to say that, like, I think uh, we... What's great about going back to this is not having to listen to some of the uh, issue of the moment reactions when there were things like fashion shows or uh, drinking contests or whatever it was. There's at that least Saturnine 15 sword doing. fights, folks. Like oh, over, yeah. these, over these 22 issues, you're darn near a sword fight an issue at least. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, before we get into the actual story, though, I just want to really um and i could be wrong about this but just from my general knowledge of comics history i do think that 
this is really a highlight because we're talking about this writer room strategy, right? With Hickman as head of X and you got teeny co-piloting this event. Cause a lot of this, uh, we, we got to make sure when we talk about the story that a lot of this is really coming out of the pages of Excalibur, as we mentioned when we interviewed Teeny years ago. Um, but this is a true test of this style of writing that is much more television based and having everybody in the room, having everybody have input on the story at large, but then giving parts of that story to individuals. And in this particular case, giving some writers an opportunity to write books that they don't normally write so that they have an opportunity to tell those stories with those characters. And I, I have to give props to them because if you think about the sheer number of people that are involved in this event, the sheer number of issues that were involved in publishing this, the editing, getting this out month to month uh, or week to week, right? Because this was coming out weekly. It is an amazing accomplishment and it, it is unique. I think this is the part where I could be wrong, but it feels very unique in the history of comic book crossovers. Uh, especially when you look back at X-Men crossovers to say that it, this many people were involved and they stuck the landing, you know, I can't think of anything this big in this tight of a time frame. Like there's things like DC's 52, Mm -hmm. which was a writer's room, but it was more, here's four people who are going to write four intersecting stories kind of, and they're going to come out weekly and, it's a different beast than, hey, here's your big event. Here is all your tie-ins. Here is everything. And, oh, by the way, it's not like a normal event comic or a traditional event comic nowadays where it is you get a chunk of issues uh, from one person and then everything else is like dancing between the raindrops. These are 22 sequential issues and also two Whedon issues that set the stage for some of the other books. There is a lot going into these comics. A lot, a lot going into these comics. It's epic in the truest sense of the word that this is a big event. We say 22 issues. I'd say at least a quarter of these are oversized, if not bigger. Sure. Yeah, because remember that we've got the uh, two bookends, Creation and Destruction, and then we have a a middle issue called Stasis, which Pepe is doing each one of those. And um, a lot of the other issues are are longer than they normally might be uh, in general. X-Factor is, Marauders is, I think some of the Excalibur is. Yeah, it's also really interesting going back and seeing what the status quo was at the time and how this resets some of the status quo for what the Krakoan era is going to be moving forward. I was going to say, because what this event does in reality is a couple of things. One, it tells the best apocalypse story that has ever been told in a way that is truly confounding to me, a guy who has said before... Before all of this, yeah, Apocalypse is a pretty bad character when you come down to it. He was just in Age of Apocalypse. (laughs) Well, Apocalypse is always a character where his power set has been ill-defined, his motivations are ill-defined, and, um, you know, aside from Fall of the Mutants, he's not really a very engaging character. He's more engaging in what he's what the effects are of what he does than what he's out to do. And the fact that this... 
approaches the character in such an interesting way to say that not only does he have a motivation, but we're going to kind of retcon what that expectation was, and we're going to spin it so that it's about like his family, right? Like we're going to say that he has these, this, that he has a wife, that apocalypse is a wife guy. We're going to say that his children are the original horsemen and give this entire mythological background to why apocalypse believes survival of the fittest. And it is so smart. It is such an intelligent thing to do to say that he is basically doing what he's doing so that earth can be ready for the destruction coming from Amenth. You know, that's a huge, huge, smart endeavor. There's that moment in X-Men 13, which is right before our mid-break of the series. It's an apocalypse spotlight issue. It gives you some background on his family, on uh, Arako and Krakoa and, you know, Okara, the one land, Mm -hmm. uh, before it was uh, split by the Twilight Sword of the Enemy. Um, And there is a beautiful scene where his family is going to defend against Ameth. And Genesis looks at Apocalypse. Genesis is Apocalypse's wife. Genesis mm-hmm. looks at Apocalypse and he's asking why he can't go. And she looks at him, the like the big, strong baddie of the X-Men. And she says, you're not strong enough. And you know it. Like, she is. <laughs> and she says it with, like, kindness and sweetness. And your heart breaks for Apocalypse. A man who is a genocidal monster? Apocalypse? traditionally not good and you're like oh i love him yeah i care for you now apocalypse please please come into my warm embrace apocalypse yeah i mean by the time you get to the end and uh i do want to highlight that final issue when we get to it but um and he takes on the mask of annihilation and you know surrenders so that he can save the lands uh and and rescue arako it is just there's an emotional arc here that, you know, has never been understood about this character and has done incredibly well throughout. And he's not the only one getting the arcs, you know, well, as we go. I, can, can, can I go back to that ending moment just for a minute here? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I think it's the best way you could have told this story. It's incredible because it is not about strength. Apocalypse's entire thing has been survival of the fittest, only the strong. You know, we must be the most fit. And he does not win. Krakoa does not win through strength. It wins through surrender. Mm -hmm. It wins because he is opening himself up to peace and saying, I will not fight. I will hold my ground and I will stand here firm and give myself over to whatever comes next. Yeah. And it is a very touching story when so much of this era has been about the folly of false posturing of strength and the folly of great men. And you see, you know, the great man, the fittest of Krakoa, just prostrate out there. He is, oh, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, while we're basically concentrating so far on the apocalypse arc, uh, because there are 22 issues, you really have a chance to explore all of these great things. Wolverine gets a, a really nice arc with the solemn stuff, even though that's probably not my favorite part. Um, Storm has a great issue by Vita. You get the rock slide stuff so that we discover you can't uh, die in other world and, and get reborn. Um, Betsy all- and Cable have an incredible arc each of themselves. Yeah, um, I, man, just rereading this, I really miss Zeb Wells' Hellions book because those issues where they send Sinister and the Hellions to cheat um, and it does not go the way anybody planned, it is fantastic. Those Um, issues are really fun. I would say, because I don't want us to sound like we are being, just not pointing out any of the flaws, if there is anything that feels like it is a tie-in versus a part of the story it's the hellions ones but they get over that because they're so freaking good yeah i mean if i want to be critical i think that there are definitely parts where if you're looking at the story as a whole and we're not even talking like issue to issue there's definitely places where you could edit down parts of the story you know the good the banquet um, definitely didn't feel like it needed to be two issues. I don't feel like the back-to-back Wolverine stuff in the beginning needs to be two issues. However, that being said, I still think that given the enormity of the task in hand, that it's really amazing what they are able to do. And I will say that, you know, especially in that back half, the some of the artistic achievements on this are just fantastic. Uh, just the two back-to-back Josh uh, Josh Kassara issues alone are so beautifully rendered with uh, Guru FX's coloring. Uh, they're they're absolutely magnificent and hilarious and strange. You know, we're we're seeing the X Men and uh, their counterparts from uh, Arico being asked to, you know, avoid going to have sex with a rock um (laughs) uh arm wrestle uh fashion show and you you get there's a sense of humor to the event but there's also this brutality to what is going on as well that is really interesting and fun and i think that i think that gets underscored at the end with the especially the cable story Mm -hmm. uh where he is getting just he gets beat by doug's large wife we will get we will get to the sword bearers of Rocco soon enough because we haven't even finished my first point. That's where we're at. But he is brutally beaten down by this. Like he is just devastated. Betsy is shattered. Like it is, it is a lot of intentional tonal whiplash. It wants you to feel off guard because that's what Saturnine is doing. She is using her magical whims to keep things unsteady. She wants them going in thinking that they are just going to be a sword fight. And no, it's a whole other contest. It does not say, she does not say once that there is going to be a sword fight contest. She says there is going to be a tournament and you're going to need some swords. Right. They have to be sword bearers. Or in the case of uh, Pog or Pog, you have to be a sword. Um. (laughs) She is, she is, she is being tricksy, which is what fairy magic is. Like, this is an other world story. I can't, I can't, like, look at this and say, oh, you're not following the rules you set up for this universe. No, you set up magical fairyland, and you said the fairies are going, and you made the fairies trick us. 
this is very important to note as well is that uh and it's not just teeny but teeny is the main architect of what this current uh iteration of otherworld is and oh you mean how otherworld's good now yeah and and all of its lands and all of its rulers and what the map of it looks like and how the politics work and all of this stuff which i find fascinating um it's it's one of the reasons that I'm disappointed that Knights of X is ending so soon is because I am fascinated by the way that this is being constructed and explored. I feel like readers of the X line are not as enamored with it as I am. Um, but here, especially it is fantastic. You've got lands of fairies. You've got lands of vampires. <laughs> you've got the crooked market. You got you know, a bee land that we still don't know what's up with that. Right. You know, and it's all there for uh, the exploration. So you got the blight smoke. Yeah, the blight spoke. Listen, yeah, listen. The other, the other big thing that this does is it establishes so much more. It essentially has to do what House of X did and establish a new status quo, but it has to do that for multiple different things. It has to establish this is what Otherworld is now, and it's Mm -hmm. a lot bigger and a lot weirder, and most importantly, this is Arako. These are the people of Arako. This is what they've been fighting for, and these are going to be incredibly key players for the next little bit. Like, the spoilers, but that X-Men Red issue of Judgment Day... That wasn't going to hit unless Ten of Swords hit. And Ten of right. Swords hit. Cause yeah, we have to care. You have, And you get so many... Because you spend the first half of this book spending time with these characters, understanding what they want, what they need, what their deal is, you feel very connected to this smaller team, not to mention feeling connected to the brand new sword bearers of Arako, who all rule. There is not a... There is not a loser in the bunch. They made ten new dope characters. Just <laughs> well, like, we're doing ten of these. They all yeah. rule. It doesn't hurt that Pepe did the designs, but, I mean, from Bay... The Pepe Larosse designs. Yeah, from uh, to Iska the Unbeaten, which is just, uh, again and again, proving to be such a fascinating idea it for It gets a you every time. It gets you every time. You're like, yeah, she can't be beaten, can she? She right. just can't lose. So how does that figure into each story from here on out? And it's been a really fun ride. Um, so you, you get know. Pog or Pog, you get White Sword, mm-hmm. you get a new War in Death who are good actually. Yeah, Summoner who I hate. He's just such a jerk, and he does deserve to die. I'm glad he got <laughs> a sword in his face. You get Solemn who is listen when they said, "Oh yeah, Ben Percy's going to give." wolverine his own loki i was like benjamin (laughs) no solemn rules solemn solemn's good every time he shows up red root like i want them to bring red root back because i think she's a very interesting character you get pog or friggin pog just the idea that we're flipping we're we're flipping the coin and seeing this war-torn version of what krakoa could be you know if if they had lived in this hellscape for eons right uh but it's smart enough not to just be a carbon copy so we get the characters that are the counterparts but those counterparts are not just mirror images this is a much smarter story than that um and uh I, all, throughout this, there are such very uh, intelligent and smart little character moments. Stupid things like magic, not knowing how to spell magic. No, 
She spells uh, magic like her name. Exactly. She's uh, like, oh, M-A-J-I-K. G-I-K. Duh, duh, duh. Magic. What? Right. But get... No, I was just going to say, there's, those kind of things are sprinkled throughout here. Um, whether it's, you know, um, Aurora going to Wakanda to get her sword or, you know, th- just one moment after another that really feed into who these characters are and that these writers and these artists really understand who they are there. Here's the thing. I think the, I think there are issues that you could bring up to say, well, if they were just going to tell this in one twenty, like the size of 22 issues and not as a sequential medium of here's one issue and then the next, and then the next, and each one needs to feel like a bite sized chapter and fit everything into that chapter and not leave loose ends moving to the next one, which they more or less do. Each issue can be mostly self-contained. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's stuff that continues on, but they stay very tight. Mm-hmm. Like, there's things you could say, well, if you cut a little bit, like 10 pages over here and put them over to this scene, maybe it's more effective. Sure. We're picking nits here because right. this works as a 22-issue story. It works as sitting down and reading this whole thing. You get you get a lot of I don't want to say slowness, but you get a lot of contemplative uh, character beats in the first half, and then straight up all out action in the back half. You yeah, get and I, I a lot. I, I just want to highlight. Um, I spoke about it a lot at the time, um, but when Destruction came out, that is an, an artistic achievement on its own. I mean, Pepe Larraz gets a chance to do this oversized issue where he is drawing the forces of Amenth, the uh, the sword bearers of Araco, all a huge swath of the X-Men cast. He gets a chance to draw these aliens that then pop in. Uh, he gets a chance to draw the, the Chifu summoners. monsters coming from the summoners, um, all of the other world creatures that are here. And it is staggering to see what he is capable of doing. Now he's just recently been announced that he is going to go get that Netflix money with Mark Miller. Listen, get your money, Pepe, get Get your your money, Pepe, get your money, Pepe. But I have to be a little bit disappointed that he's leaving the franchise because what he brings to it is so unique and, and amazing. Um, so if you have never read 10 of swords, I highly recommend it. And, um, you know, if you're only going to own one issue, I'd say make sure you at least get destruction because it's a work of art. It's incredible. There's just, there's just so much. Hey, do you remember the pop at the end of creation? Do you when creation when I first read creation, it was it was a rough day. A lot of a lot of my friends were having a rough day. We read it and I got to that last page. I got to the last page that I should have known what was coming. It's when they it's when they re- reveal that also there's sword the space station involved yes. in this yes and it says and raise your sword and then the space station sword shows up and i jumped out of my seat and i was like yeah let's go i don't even like sword but i was so hyped by that issue because this entire story just builds up your excitement for it like yeah and it pays off because at the very end sword docks with the starlight citadel and you're like what is going on this is so crazy um all right so i think you and i both really enjoy this um i don't think this is recency bias i think this is a huge achievement and uh i want to take a look at our big old list and see if we can rank it 
Okay, because what we do on this podcast is we rank all of the X-Men stories from best to worst, uh, with the best X-Men story of all time being the House of X, Powers of Ten. Uh, there are 672 stories on the list, by the way. Uh, the 100th best story is Fallen Angels, uh, the one with the uh, lobsters. The 200th best story is Extraordinary X-Men 17. That's the good issue of Extraordinary X-Men. Uh, number 300 is the Madrox miniseries. Uh, number 400 is the saga of Chris Starr, the Crystal Warrior number 6. That's a Nightcrawler appearance. Uh, number 500 on this list is New Mutants uh, 1 through 4, The Return of the Legion. Uh, number 600 on this list is X-Factor 1 through 6, a bad apocalypse story. Uh, <laughs> and 672 is the Draco. I'm going to say something, Adam, and I want you to listen. Yep, let's go. This is the best X-Men crossover that's ever existed. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm, you know, immediately I'm looking in the top 25 here. Uh, 25 right now is Cullen Bunn's uh, first three issues of Magneto. And as we get into the top 25, we have several different X-Men crossovers. The Mutant Massacre is at 24. Messiah Complex is at 16. Messiah Complex is probably the biggest equivalent that I can think of of major... Uh, number of writers and artists coming together on a book in a, a successful fashion. This is more successful than that. So uh, we're definitely I w- in I would the top say, 15. I would say very specifically the art and the consistency of this consistent quality of the art in Ten of Swords is ridiculously high. Even like yeah. the Victor the Victor Bondanovich stuff, who I don't like Victor very much as an artist, that's the worst that it gets. It's still pretty good. Like, yeah, he's not drawn bad. So that aside, um, you know, we're working our way up the list. And I think that, you know, we could be, we could be in the top 10. I don't know. Is this better than E for Extinction at nine? That's a tough one for me. Okay. 10 and 11 are uh, the Two Paul Smith slash Walt Simonson uh, era, right? We've got the Morlocks at ten, and we've got Wolverine's Wedding at eleven, um, and and we have the Crucible at twelve. Yes, we have the Crucible X Men Seven. This is better than the Crucible for me, I think. I would I would say the scope of this mm-hmm. is better than the Crucible, and that com- that comes down to just like I complain about stories being too long constantly <laughs> on this podcast. Yep. These are 22 good issues, though. Like, that's the thing. Seven bad issues in a row? Miserable to read. 22 good issues? Especially once the plot is ramping up in the uh, back half of this? That thing flies. I'm engaged. I want to see what's happening next. And I've read it multiple times. Yeah, um, so... I am... I guess the question is, what is the ceiling? Because once we start to get into the top 10, this is not going to challenge, I think, things like number six is God Loves, Man Kills. Seven is Asgardian Wars. Eight is the Frank Miller, Chris Claremont Wolverine mini. Um, And then nine is E is for Extinction. I can definitely see this challenging those Paul Smith era uh, books at nine and or 10 and 11. Um, I guess my ceiling... I, I don't know. I can't see putting it above number six. God loves man kills. I don't see it going above God loves man kills. No, I'm going to, I'm going to say this and this is going to sound odd. And I want you to hear me out, Adam. All right, go for it. I don't know if it's better 
than the Frank Miller Claremont Wolverine or E is for Extinction or Asgardian War. But I do know I would rather read it again than two out of three of those stories probably. I, it's it's right up there with them. I mean, I think we're we're talking about classics versus something that is extraordinarily successful in the modern era. So um, I think the real question here is whether this is at number 10 or whether this is at number nine, um, because I think we're in agreement that this is going to surpass those. Um, uh, we are. Yeah, X, yeah, yeah. It's, X-Men it's 169 to 173. So, you know. We've already established time and time again that that Wolverine mini establishes that character in a way that it just solidifies it for decades. So I think that's got the advantage. But I guess the question is, is the redefinition of X-Men by Grant Morrison still a bigger landmark than the artistic and writing accomplishment that is this enormous story? And I, I think I think it is. Um, I, I think if I was thinking about this logically, I would slot this in at number 10. I think that's right. I'm just mad that Astonishing X-Men Gifted is at number five. We need to, uh, we need to edit our list. Okay. Well, uh, let's edit Adam, it I'm right. gonna, hold on. Adam, I'm going to throw an audible at you. Ooh. Okay. You want to slide Astonishing X-Men Gifted down to like between Messiah Complex and Dark Angel Saga? We're doing this right now. We should it's not do show. this right now. We should not do this right now. We should. Here's here's why we shouldn't do this is because this it's going to set the, a bad precedent. It's the it's it's not. Here, here's why I'm saying this because this is not the only story that needs to be moved. We need to do. We need to come up with a better, like, way to do this than just an audible. We right? do need to come up with a better way to do this. We did miss a nice round number, Adam. Let's let's you and I figure out off air, and we'll cut this part. Let's figure out when we. Let's figure out when we re-edit our we're, pod. We're gonna we're gonna do that. We're gonna do. We're the gonna list. we're gonna take we're gonna take a day. We're gonna take an episode, and you and me are gonna have to do some bonus reading slash skimming on some stuff to refresh, so we're good. But then we're gonna we're gonna each get to pick a few that we can debate about re-ranking. Yeah, I have some ideas there, on how we could do that. Um, let's talk about now, it off air. Yeah, but for now, Adam, I think what I what I think is you're probably right. E is for Extinction matters more and is still incredibly good. So I think Ten of Swords can rightly fit in the Ten spot. Great. All right. Here's the thing about Ten of Swords is that they do the thing where the X is a 10. And it's also (laughs) a tarot card. Yeah. Oh, the tarot. We all started reading the tarot uh, because of this this crossover. I refused. I refused. Here's what I know about tarot. I know that death is not really death. The Ten of Swords is really death. And uh, the Fool is the lead of the tarot. There you go. All right. That was our episode this week. And uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Oh, wait. No, 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 no. no. We have more. We. Ha- oh, my gosh. Adam, how long did we go on? We did go a good 35 minutes. You know, uh, that's okay. Because uh, these other two stories we don't have as much to say about. And the second one is going to be... The four-issue miniseries, The Rise of Apocalypse. Yeah, this is from 1996. It's by Terry Cavanaugh. Uh, James Felder helps out. And Adam Polina, uh, he does he does some of that good, good art in this. Is it? Um, is it? Though? That's a great question. That's a great question, Adam. I'm so glad you bring it up. Maybe? Huge, huge part 
of whether you're going to like Rise of Apocalypse is going to depend on whether you can handle page after page after page of Adam Polina drawing uh, human beings and their heads that look like like pencil erasers. So, Do you not you... like Adam Polina? Adam Polina on X-Force is a very different animal than what we're looking at in these issues. This is really like like super stylized, even more so than his X-Force run. Wouldn't you agree? It, this is this is stylized. It's weird. It's very uh, weird. This is this is the original origin of Apocalypse. So this is before he met. Uh, he went to Krakoa or Oaka, uh, the One Land. This is mm-hmm. before all of that. This is just when he was in Egypt, uh, back in what we generally call Egypt times. Yes, aka Fantastic Four number nineteen, when it Rama is... Tut ruled the land. It is during the reign of Ramatut, uh, the famous, uh, the famous uh, pharaoh. Hey, can I tell you one thing that really immediately bothers me about this? That the Fantastic Four appear with no editor's note, and I had to look up what was going on. <laughs> no, because if you are one of, no, you should know. You should know. Did you not hold on? Adam, did you not know Ramatut's deal? Like no, when they were no. like, "This and is Ramatut," looked... you were like, "Oh yeah, I know that guy. That's Kang." No, didn't didn't, That's a didn't register. Nope. Did you you didn't know? Okay, because this book was a this book does go in assuming they're like, you know Kang's deal, right, folks? No, like they you do remember not, that classic story? They do not explain it at all. They are basically like a sphinx fell from the sky, and you're like, oh, okay. So if you don't yeah, that's, know the Kang that's Kang's stuff, ship, right? If you don't know that this is Nathaniel Richards, you gotta look it up because <laughs> you're gonna be very confused. This isn't a spoiler, folks. Just. Go no, read 1963's comics. Fantastic Four 19. So, Kang, as Ramatut, is Pharaoh. His advisor is Ozymandias, mm-hmm. uh, as well as uh, Ozymandias' sister, Nefari, and uh, their advisor, Logos. Uh, Ramatut becomes Pharaoh. Ozymandias uh, is trying to politically maneuver all this stuff it's a whole thing hey adam quick question for you yeah okay logos ozymandias nefri Mm -hmm. what do you think the etymology of those names are i mean one would hope that they would be from some sort of egyptian history i I don't those are all greek buddy those are all greek okay logos (laughs) logos the word ozymandias the Greek name right. for Ramses II, who, by the way, Ramses II was from like 300-ish BC, not 3,000-ish. So you're saying this we're is, making some is, uh, apocryphal uh, decisions here in terms of the the historical context of this story. I also under I also understand that the word apocalypse is Greek, and I understand that Arabic likely wasn't the Arabic we know to translate into Ansabanur uh, in 3000 BC, but they are way off with the Greek names. Like, that's not even close. There's already a very famous Ozymandias in Egypt. His sure. name was Ramses. We've well, all read Watchmen. We know this. <laughs> I think that you are assuming that Kavanaugh's writing is smarter than it is. It is not. Um, I assume is... that Terry Kavanaugh is writing for people who have read Watchmen. Maybe. I mean, th- th- here's the bottom line. This is a very dumb story. Apocalypse very really dumb. doesn't have much to do. It really doesn't explain much more than, hey, this is Apocalypse, and he used to live in Egypt. And at the end, Apocalypse Ozymandias was a gets... Baby. 
Right. A blue baby. Got thrown into baby. the desert. Mm-hmm. Everyone was scared. Everyone was scared of his skin. Also, Baal, uh, Baal, it's Baal, is, again, not Egyptian. That's very famously a Canaanite name. That's the name of the Canaanite god of the harvest. Baal? Okay. I don't know. Sure. Adam. Adam. This was all covered in what what the Christians call the Old Testament. The the larger uh, issue here is just that nothing happens. There is no character arc. Um, Apocalypse does eventually, I guess, take power. Great. He, he becomes a big guy. He becomes His dad big dies guy. and he fights he fights uh he fights Ozymandias because he can't fight Ramatut because the Fantastic Four have to fight Ramatut. Right, and, and that, that all, all has to happen panel. off screen. Right. Which is really dumb. He, so Ozymandias gets turned into stone and our story is over. And it's not very good. It does not substantiate four solid issues. And uh I do not like the artwork. Uh, by the time we get to the end, I believe we got some fill-ins uh, going on here too, so we're not even be con- being consistent. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, James or Anthony Williams jumps in for Adam Polina at some points. Yeah, so the style is, is as weird as it is doesn't match up at the end, and ultimately this is very disappointing. You know, if you were coming to this and saying, "Oh, I'd really like to learn more." This doesn't tell you a damn thing. One issue of Ten of Swords tells you much more about Apocalypse and his history than this ever could. Yes, because this posits that all Apocalypse is is an angry man who's mad that people rejected him because he's ugly. Kind of ugly. They keep talking about how ugly he is, and I'm like, he just looks like he's got lipstick on. Like, why do we care? Look at listen, listen. Apocalypse in this first one, he's just got like Jason Momoa hair. Yeah. And he's got he's got like a little apocalypse line on his lips in gray skin. He does not like he's he's ripped. He is not a grotesque being. No, you he's just mis- a big dude with a sword. Yeah, like if they were making got- the movie of this, The Rock could play him, and he, that'd be fine. You know what I mean? I was saying that I was saying that he was going for a Conan vibe, but then I did remember that Jason Momoa did play Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> so I don't think this is very good, and I don't have anything else really to say about it. So do you want to try ranking it? This is not as good as The Further Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, which is a different Apocalypse origin story. Oh, no, that's much better. I was all the way down at 520, The Search for Cyclops. Yeah, this is worse than The Search for Cyclops. This is worse than Apocalypse versus Dracula. It is. Yeah, at least that tried to make some clever th- things happen. Um, yeah, I think that's this at is... 550. Maybe. Nah, is this worse than The Blood of Apocalypse? X-Men yes. 2 to 187? Well, yeah. no, actually, mm, that's no, Blood of Apocalypse is really bad, too. It is bad, but yeah. there's some better stuff than that down here, I think. Like, I feel like this is lower. Um, mm. I don't think we're lower than 575. The Gladiator arc of New Mutants? Yeah. yeah. We're like we're on par with the Sabretooth Mystique Mini at 573. I don't think this is as good as 571, The Winding Way. That's that Nightcrawler story that we did from his solo not that long ago. Yeah, I would agree. I think that's more I think more that fun. one was trying to do more. This is also not as good as Quest Probe. <laughs> All right. You know what? So, I'd say make this the new 575 between Wisdom Max and the Gladiator's Arc. I mean, that's saying something. I think Wisdom Max is better than this. So this is our new No, that's five. what I was saying. Yeah. Yeah, no. I'm just saying, you know how much I hate Wisdom Max. So five. Or... You don't care for Wisdom Max. <laughs> or Wisdom Regular. Um, all what right, about so... Diet Wisdom? wisdom clear wisdom zero jesus christ 
All right, so... Wisdom Baja Blast. We had some more Apocalypse there. We had some more Swords, but we have one... Wisdom Code Red. (laughs) Now you're just naming Mountain Dews. (laughs) Wisdom Zero Sugar. (laughs) What was the the Mountain Dew that they advertised by saying, It's not for women! Oh. No, that was a Dr. Pepper. Yeah, it was like... What was that? That was very short-lived. That didn't last long. In 2011, when it launched... Oh, it was called Dr. Pepper 10. It's not for women. That's so weird. Like, it was their response to Coke Zero, remember? 10 calories. How in the world is your ad campaign for a diet soda, it's not for women? It's misogynist pepper. The doctor got... uh, Jeez. Yeah. So which which made-up soda brand is uh, the Muramasa Blade? Oh, that's a great question. And the Muramasa Blade is tab. Liz, the only tab drinker I know. I am sorry. You can't drink tab uh, anymore. They don't make it. Can't drink. You can't drink tab anymore, and you can't get a Muramasa Blade anymore because Muramasa has been dead for years and years. We we're talking about this other time that Wolverine got the Muramasa Blade, and that's Wolverine Volume Three, Number Thirty Six through Forty. It's called Origins and Endings. Uh, this is the fallout from House of M. And you might think, well, Wolverine's a mutant. Hmm. I wonder if he's dealing with some of the issues that mutants are facing at this time, like the decimation. Nope, he is not. He is, uh, like, reeling from the fact that in House of M, he has regained all of his memories. Literally all of his memories. Uh, he remembers being a dainty little boy. Yes. So the trade dress of this is uh similar to wolverine origins um or origin excuse me we get these um joe covers that are also evocative of that mini series but the interiors are by daniel way and uh the penciling this is an interesting art combo we've uh, uh pencils and breakdowns by javier salteris but then we get finishes by mark teixeira um now if if Teixeira had just done this by himself, I think it probably would have been much more dynamic, but um, unfortunately Salteris's stuff is a little more static and nothing really happens in these issues. Unfortunately, (laughs) this is very slow storytelling for something that should be a very dynamic story about a soul stealing sword maker. Yeah. So this is a five issue series. Um, and what you learn in the first issue is that Wolverine has regained all his memories and so many government agencies are afraid. And that page, that page is good, actually. Yes. That page where there's government agencies who are committing suicide and shredding documents and going crazy because they realize that Wolverine has all of his memories back and each of them bespoke no one horrible thing they've done to him and that's enough. <laughs> it is pretty funny. Unfortunately, the bulk of this story uh, is really about the Winter Soldier um, because the Winter Soldier assassinated a wife of Wolverine that we'd never heard of before this uh, this arc. Itsu. This may be the fastest fridging I've ever seen. It's rough. It's like, I didn't even know I had a wife. She's dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Daniel Way, you are a bad writer on this one. And, and the, readers, everything else I've read from you, to be honest. Yeah, and readers who um, never read this arc may have been confused when uh, this got brought up again 
in uh, X Lives of Ten Lives of Wolverine. Was it X Lives or Ten Lives? Um, Ten Lives X Deaths. The yeah. thing about the thing about it coming up in Ten Lives of Wolverine, a series that I would call uneven. Um, if it was on this list, it would just be it would be in the uneven section of the list. The thing about that is that that changes it so that Wolverine had just had sex with Omega Red before Jitsu <laughs> got shot. It's really weird, Which right? is better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bless Percy and Kassara for that. Um, so, what a wild story that one was. Yeah. So people who might be going back, as I was, going back to this arc, assuming that it is going to be much more of an explanation of the uh, Muramasa Blade, it is not. Um that is really well, relegated to almost one issue and another page or two and another issue with a flashback. And the bulk of it is just conversations with Bucky or running from S.H.I.E.L.D. And it's not very good. Wolverine finds out that in his past, sometime after World War Two, maybe? Sure. Sure. Let's say after World War Two, Wolverine, it has to be because Bucky's the Winter Soldier. Right. Uh, at, sometimes after World War II, Wolverine goes to this Japanese village uh, where he's supposed to learn peace. Uh, it's mm-hmm. in the Jasmine Falls of Honshu. And Wolverine trains in this village, and there's supposed to be like a final competition to show uh, that he is at peace with himself and that he is in control. And then there's a big explosion, and he freaks out for a second and pops his claws just reflexively. Doesn't hurt anybody. No one's around. But he gets shunned and say that he has... He has been disgraced, and he is an, not an honorable uh, Ronin. He is a Gaijin. Like, it is... He does cut a dude, like, pretty bad. He's Cuts fine. a dude. He's fine. He's fine. He's fine. <laughs> there was an explosion! No, I know. That wasn't know. his fault! No, and the circumstances uh, around this are very silly. Like, they're supposed to be, like, play dancing, fighting around a fire. It's a dance and... fight. Sure. Yeah, but it's not capoeira. It's just dance fighting that they're yeah. doing. Uh, so he then finds out that Itsu, his wife, was shot and killed, uh, by Bucky. He later learns, he doesn't know it's Bucky at the time, he just knows that she's been killed, and that it was supposed to lead Wolverine out for reasons. I guess. I guess. We find out later Romulus is involved, it doesn't matter. No, and again, this is all dumb, because when they confront each other, they don't really fight. Bucky is able to, uh you know, knock Wolverine out pretty easily. And there's, there's no real action happening here. It's a lot of Wolverine just running around and, or laying down. And, um, the, the story ends with him going back and getting the Muramasa blade from Muramasa from Muramasa. There's not a ton of exposition here to explain why or what this is all about. And it just ends. Muramasa says that I will take all of your anger and your rage and I will forge it into a blade that will even hurt you. And then he's given a sword and it says, to be continued in Wolverine Origins, number one. And I'm like, screw you. (laughs) Yeah, why not just do this story in that book if this is like, you know, its own thing. But as you noted before we went on the air, this book was just moving from arc to arc to arc. And right after this, it gets right into Civil War. So, um doesn't really have time to i mean it, it let me rephrase that it has plenty of time to tell more story it, it chooses not time. to yeah it does not use the form well no no it does not um now i do have a soft spot for tashera 
you know, especially from his 90s Ghost Rider days. Um, unfortunately, like I said, the artwork is a little more static because he's not the one doing the, the core work. He's doing the finishes. It does still look pretty nice. You know, I, I, I do have a fondness for what to share his line quality is. But um, this is a bad story. So I think to share stuff is nice. I think everything else is pretty bad, actually. Yeah, yeah. So um, all the way down at 584, we have a story from Wolverine Origins, which is 37 to 40, which is the Romulus arc. Uh, is this better or worse than that? Jeez. I mean... I think it looks better, but it's pretty dry. There's not a lot happening here. See, I really... I don't know if it looks better or not. Like... It's just about on par with that story. Like, yeah. it's less stupid than Romulus. Like, it's dumb in the fact that Wolverine's wife gets fridged again, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as happens every time that Wolverine falls in love. That's dumb and bad, and, like, it should have been like, come on, guys. Can we, at least for Wolverine, can we do a different story? Have someone else's <laughs> wife get fridged for once to give him, give him more motivation than this. Sure. But they don't. They don't. Um... It's about at that level. I don't know if it's better or worse. Uh, it's better than Wolverine, right below that Wolverine 49, better to give, which is a Christmas issue. Uh, this is, you know what I'm going to say? This isn't as good as Smokescreen. Oh, the PSA comic from a couple weeks ago? I would agree. But probably think, better than X-Men Noir. Yeah, I have a real distaste for those two Noir books. Um, so this will be our new 587. This will be our new 587. It's uh, origins and endings, and this podcast is ending, at least for this episode. Yeah, I think uh, we've our swords have uh, gotten dull, so, you know. My, gotta... my, sword, my sword never dulls. I have just chosen <laughs> to put it back in its scabbard and choose peace. <laughs> we are sheathing our blades. I'm like, I'm like Asagi Yojimbo. You know Miyamoto Asagi, the mm-hmm. best swordsman in comics. Yeah, he's a uh, bunny. The, the wandering ronin. Yeah, I'm like him in that, Adam. I I want to walk the path of the righteous man and the path of peace, but these these devils they they do come at me, <laughs> and I am I am forced to defend my honor, and the honor of the people around me, and make the bandits do that thing where Stan Sakai draws a little skull in a word balloon floating up <laughs> from a dead guy's head. That's what I have to do every day of my day to day life. Man, one day when you do your Usagi Ojimbo uh, podcast, it's going to be a real treat. I look forward to that. <laughs> Here, let's rank Usagi Ojimbo. It's all a tie. <laughs> number one, number one, not, number one, number one, number one. <laughs> that's not true. It's just like it would be one where there's like, there's not a bad story. They're all good. Number one, number one is Grass Cutter. Uh, the problem with Grass Cutter being number one in related to this episode is that I understand that Grass Cutter is a sword from Japanese mythology, and that is why it exists in Ten of Swords. But also, every time Gorgon uses Grass Cutter, which he also used in Hickman's Secret Warriors... Uh, actually, I'm sorry. Gorgon used God Killer, and uh, Grass Cutter was used by... Wait, no, did, did Gorgon use Grass Cutter or God Killer? No, Gorgon used God Killer, and uh, Fastos, uh, Ares' son, the God of Fear, used God, or Grass Cutter. In Secret Warriors. In Secret Warriors. Okay. A book okay, we are not talking about. It is not an X-Men book. Fair enough. Fair enough. I should reread Secret Warriors. I didn't... I got mad at the ending of it you the first time I read it. it. I think you're good. I don't know. I don't know. It. The part where Gorgon and uh, Phobos... I said Fastos. Phobos fight. Uh, 
that part does rule super hard. <laughs> See, there's good to be had with Gorgon, you know? He's not just all enemy of the state. Yeah, no, that that's the thing. It's the Gorgon rules. And I'm glad that they found a way to fix Gorgon so that he's not a Nazi anymore. Yeah, he's fantastic. <laughs> they they were like, if Gorgon won the X-Men vote, we the important thing that would happen in X-Men number 13 was them saying, he's very clearly not a Nazi anymore. <laughs> we just, we're getting this out of the way right now. He, that guy tried to have sex with a rock in Otherworld <laughs> and did fight just a lot of the white sword soldiers uh, to even up he, the score. He wins the tournament. You know, he, I mean, he didn't win. He, t- he tied it, he ties up, it up and then he ties it up. And then white sword walks up to him and says, you fought well, I can heal you. You can join my legion. And he says, no, he says very well. And he stabs him. <laughs> Jeez. White sword. Where is white sword in his hundred? Well, they're not a hundred anymore. So well, no, he, He's going to get new warriors. That's what I he does. Know. He's going to heal know. his warriors every night. That's what the White Sword does. And they held back the beasts of Ameth. <laughs> they don't have They're back in Ameth holding back the beasts. No, hey. I mean, well, hey, oh, that's a good question. What? What's Apocalypse and his family doing over there? Don't know. Don't know. When we find out, it's going to be real interesting. Because you know I'm they're going to so, come back at some point. I'm. It's, it's going to be so good. Yeah, like, it's going to be fun. If you were to have told me in 2018, Zach, Apocalypse is going to go away for a while, and you're going to be so excited for him to come back. You'd be like, no. <laughs> oh, man. Comics are good, actually, Adam. That's what I've come down on, is that comics books, think, they did them good. I think we like and if you like, If you want to support good comic books... Be like Zach Larkin and uh, support us writing about good comic books on ComicsXF at Patreon slash ComicsXF. Uh, the line has rarely been shorter if you want to get an episode, so jump on in here and we can get you in. We're in less than six months. Okay. We can get you, we, we can get you pretty promptly. Get going. Tell your friends about this podcast. Other things that people say. Adam, what do you got going on today? Uh, folks, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. And uh, next week, Zach, what are we talking about? We're going to talk about The Fool. That is Nathan Christopher Charles Day Spring Scottish and Summers. Uh, specifically, the time he was a Jack Kirby character. Nice. And it ruled. All right. Until then, folks, this has been Bally Adam, and we hope you survived the experience.